delight to be here. Um, Pastor Don is in um, Phoenix today with Pastor Demo. And so, uh, and Pastor Demo says hi, and I'll actually be out there in about a month uh, visiting with them as well. So, it's a marvelous thing that you guys here at, Great, at Grace in D.C. have had the privilege of having kids in Phoenix, Arizona. And you think it's hot here, it's nothing compared to there. Every time the temperature gets over 110, I text Pastor Don, uh, Pastor, Pastor Demo rather, and say, why did you do what you did? <laughs> you know, most of the time God doesn't send us like that, but nevertheless, amen. But Pastor Don sent me a, an email that you guys have been in a series, correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Marianne, but ministry in the image of God. Right. Is that correct? All right, wonderful. And so when, when I found that out, it kind of began to inform the message that I want to bring to you this morning. I, I had another message I was all hot to, hot to bring, and I felt, you know, but then I got that, and it just shifted me in another direction. So turn in the Bible, if you would, to the book of Isaiah. Those of you biblically challenged today, that happens to be in the Old Testament. That's the first half of your Bible. But Isaiah 48, and we'll eventually get there. How is that? But ministry, like the rest of life as we grow, it becomes more about motivation. It's the why we do a thing rather than how we do it. Or how much we do it. Parents, there's a book that came out years ago called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And you know, you can get your children to do pretty much what you need to do under threat of no dessert. Going to bed early. Whatever it might be. But how many of you know that as parents, your goal is, is to get the motivation of that child to do what? Obey. To capture your heart. Well, let me say that your heavenly father is after the very same thing. He is after us not just checking the boxes. I did this or I didn't do this. But it's the motivation behind why. Why? And in this motivational shift, what happens is that the motivation will yield a metamorphosis into his image being worked in us. So as our motivation becomes that of Jesus, and we know that the motivation of Jesus was, was always to do what? The will of the Father. I mean, yes, there were folk that got ministered to, and, and, and it, was, it was a marvelous moment in those, those three years as he was, his, his manifested glory in, in human form was known, and he discipled, and he taught, and he healed the sick and raised the dead. It was an amazing thing, but it wasn't the people that motivated him. It was the motivation of being obedient to the will of the Father. This is what set the ministry of Jesus apart from almost everybody else's in that particular moment. And along with the forming of that image in us is the right use of that name that is associated with the image or the person of God. Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed as better than silver and gold. 
And rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Name is connected with person, personality, action, family, reputation. There's power in a name, is it not? And we find some of the earliest commandments of God have to do with the use of that name. Deuteronomy 5.11, you shall not do what? Misuse the name of the Lord your God. Another translation says not to take the name of the Lord what? In vain. Now, as we become early Christians, we think that just means not using God's name in context or conjunction with a cuss word. Correct? And so, you know, pretty early on in our Christian walk, there were some words that got excised, come on, out of our vocabulary. Now, at times, you know, when you smack your thumb with a hammer, some of these unsanctified words will bubble back up from a place in the past. But pretty much, we, we got the using the Lord's name in association with a cuss word, we, we got that out of our vocabulary. P nod your head so I, please agree with me. Thank you very much. All right. But that word, but, but I believe God was speaking to something much more expansive there. That word vain, it means unsuccessful, useless, idle, worthless, foolish, silly. Jesus in teaching his disciples how to pray. In Matthew 6, our Father in heaven, what did he say? Hallowed be, what? Your name. There it is. Holy, consecrated, sacred, revered. And so whether it's Old Covenant, whether it's New Testament, what we find is that the use, the proper use of the name of God becomes part and parcel and paramount to how we associate and ascribe ministry. Isaiah 48, we're finally there, verse 9. And I want you to watch a theme that runs across these three verses. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Let's move on quick. Verse 11, for my own sake, and then for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning. Hear well. Hear well. God, we have to be empowered, God, to hear your voice. And God, let us not just hear with natural ears, but God, let us hear with the ears of your very spirit. Open the eyes of our heart. Illuminate us today. Change us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So much in this passage. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. Not just because I love you. Yes, I love you, but it's not just that 
I want to spare Angie or Marianne or Jim or Corey. No, no, no. It's for my name's sake that I do this. You know, when we get to heaven, we're all not going to be looking around. Yeah, I made it. Let me tell you, there'll be none of that going on. Everything is going to be about, wow. Everything, every rescue that God did, every miracle that he did in your life and my life, yes, we're the recipients of it, but it was all intended for his glory. Every bit of it. For the sake of my praise, I restrain myself. I've refined you, not as silver, but I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. I wish there were an easier way. I don't know about you, but I'm not real smart. And quite frankly, the thing that gets still gets my attention the fastest is what? Pain. Sorry. I respond real fast to pain. I tend to, I tend to be very slow with ascribing blessing. I tend to be very slow with ascribing almost everything. But pain, it's like, woo, yeah, okay, I'm here. God will try us in those moments. And for my own sake, and then God repeats himself, for my own sake. So few times in Scripture do we find that type of repetition. But God is hammering something home to you and to me in this moment. It's not just about you. And if you think about so much of our presentation today of this gospel, it's all about you. I mean, God is knocking, God is, he is knocking mountains down to get to you. His reckless love, it's about you. It's about, no, no. It never was. For my own sake. Wow. I do it. For how should my name be profaned? And it shifts the orientation from us to God. And saints, let me tell you, this is the great lesson of this great walk that God has called us into with him is that it's not about your gift, my gift, your blessing, my blessing, pain, lack of pain. It is about his glory. Wow. And this is a shift that I believe that God has to make in you and in me. Again, it's not just doing a thing or not doing a thing. That's morality. And morals primarily benefit us and those around us. And God bless morals and ethical systems. Whereby which, you know, we're not driving where we want to drive all the time. Or we're, we're, we're not just, you know, slapping somebody in public because they're in law. I mean, we're, it, there's some constraints and restraints that morals and ethics place upon us. Praise God. But the primary beneficiary of all of that is who? You and me. Morals is not what this is about. Behavioral modification is not discipleship. That's not what it's about. It's not about you becoming an upgraded version of yourself so people can say, wow, look, look at, whoa, look at Corey. My goodness, he doesn't cuss nearly as much as he used to. He's reading his Bible. It's not about that. 
It's not about an upgraded version so that people can say, wow, you're amazing. Motivation of not only, again, why what we do, but for whom are we doing it? Fasting. Oh, I'm going to fast. Why is that? Well, because my pants are tight. <laughs> okay, that's... All right, I, I got to tell you, if that's your motivation for fasting, call it something else. Call it a diet. You know, call it intermittent fasting. I mean, call it something. You know, but the reality is you say, oh, I'm going to fast because I'm going to get out of my three days. I'm going to be five lighter. Yeah, you'll put it back on at Chili's at night too, let me just tell you. But that's not your motivation. That's not why we do it. We just came off of a fast in, in, in uh, Chantilly, celebrating 37 years. We do this each September. And I tell you, folk, we're praying real fast Friday night. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, can y'all just please, like, uh, can you, like, like, shut up so we can go? To, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so why do we do this? And it becomes, here's the question. Is ministry in his name or for his name? And that one preposition changes the entire meaning and the motivation of everything that we do. True discipleship is making disciples of him in his name and evidencing his glory for his name's sake. Matthew 28, what does it say? Making disciples, what? In his name. Not in the name of GCC, not in the name of ENC, not in the name of every nation or Don or Pastor Brett or whoever else it might be. No, in his name make disciples. Matthew 7, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these amazing things in your name? And what does he say there? I have no idea who you were. Acts the 19th chapter. The sons of Sceva, you remember this story, the original streakers? I mean, these boys have ministry. Folks are coming to them. Demons are being cast out in the name of Jesus. But all of a sudden, we begin to realize that these boys had just made a name for themselves. Now, here's what's tricky about this. Ministry was happening. But it all came to a crashing end one day. Because these guys were in it for themselves, in his name, rather than for his name. And that name has power. But the use of a name reference or relation to it only has real meaning when it's vitally connected to the relationship and the reputation of the owner of that name. Let me tell you a story. Many, many years ago, 1970s, we had an oil embargo. Now, most of you are pretty young, so I'm going to have to kind of unpack some of this for you. This was before we got all hot about, you know, energy conservation and, you know, oil reserves in the United States and all this kind of stuff. But all of a sudden, gasoline became very, very scarce. And they were also the days that we had self-service gas stations. Now, this was pre-credit card. So you'd pull up to a pump. Marianne, you're not this, though. I don't think you even remember this. But you would take these dollar bills and they would zzz, and you'd feed it into a machine. Very much like you would a, a, a drink machine. You with me? 
and you're praying that that dollar bill is just right. You know, not, not too crinkled, not too new, but just right. All the corners, you know what I'm talking about. And so you would go to these gas pumps and you would feed these dollar bills in so that you could pump gas. Where during this oil embargo in the 70s, everybody was, was fuel was very, very rare. So if a, if a gas station had gas, you would see a line of cars hundreds long some oh thank you you remember this so hundreds of cars would line up until all the gasoline was gone it was a big deal I mean part of my early days of driving mom would say you want to drive the car you get up at five o'clock in the morning and go find some gas to put in it and so one night myself and some of my idiot friends were driving around because that's all you had to do in those days and we pulled up to one of these self-service gas pumps, knowing in advance there was no gas there. The next thing you know, there's a half a mile of cars behind us. And I'm just sitting there like I'm pumping gas. People are lining up. We know there's no gas. <laughs> just to watch. Are you, with, are you with me? All of these folk lining up behind me. And this was real funny for a moment. Until the blue lights came in the other direction. Sheriff gets out. Not a townie. A county sheriff. Different breed, let me tell you. And I'm sitting there, and, man, and of course, my guys that are with me, they're really cool, right? They bust out of the vehicle, and they start running. I'm thinking, thank you, band of brothers. Appreciate that, all right? I'm going to jail alone tonight. And so I'm there, and he looks at me, I, driver's license, doing the whole thing here, and he looks at me, and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I've got my 30s on. If you don't know what that is, you know, just go look up the 70s, and, you know, hair, I actually had it, you know. I mean, it was an ugly sight. He looks at my driver's license, and he looks at me, he said, James Morton? Now, if you ever get called by your both names, now in the South, everybody has two names. Sarah Lou, Billy Bob, you know, you know what I'm saying. June Bug. Okay, everybody with me here so far. Everybody's got a double name if you live in the South. And well, my name happens to be James, not Jim, it's James. I gave up when I went to work. Everybody called me Jim. But my middle name is Morton, like the salt. Well, no one calls me that unless they know me or my family. And he looks out at my dr James Morton. And I'm realizing, uh-oh. He said, there was an expletive involved next. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm acting like an idiot. And he said, well, he said, I really have three choices. He said, I could call your mother. I wasn't nearly as afraid of my dad as I was my mom. He said, I could call your grandfather, who happened at that time to also be on the sheriff's department. Or... I said, could I choose door number three? He said, what is that? I said, just shoot me. <laughs> because neither one of the first two were great options. Let me just tell you. He said, get the blank out of here. And he let me go. Now, in that moment, it wasn't a matter that I was able to pull on the power of the name that there was recognition. I had dishonored Listen to me. 
I had dishonored my family name by acting the fool in that moment. Are you hearing me here? And so many times we just view sin as, well, this is something that affects me. No, it's not. It reflects back upon God. It reflects back upon the power of that name. Moses interceding with God for these idiot children called Israel. He wasn't crying out for them. How was Moses praying? He said, God, he said, for your namesake, for your namesake, don't bring disaster on this people. Wow. Exodus 33, what else will distinguish us from the other peoples on the earth? If you, if you don't go with us, if you wipe us out in your anger. Moses was appealing to God, not just on behalf of his countrymen. He was appealing to God for the sake of God. If we were nearly as concerned with God's reputation as we are with our own. Hmm. I had to move on. I could stay there for a moment. Because see, God is supremely occupied with his own glory. And you see, God's name is connected with his glory. John Piper, who wrote one or two books, said this, that the foundation of God's love for us is his commitment to his own glory. God's commitment to his own glory. Not just getting you out of hell and getting you into heaven. Not just getting you through this life as bruise free as possible. It's for his own glory. And when we understand this, it shifts our entire understanding and motivation of who God is and how we are to relate to him. Philippians chapter 2, and gave him, God gave him the name above every name. Why? To the glory of God the Father. So let me give you a few thoughts in closing. First of all, daddy leads and daddy feeds. This is what daddies do. Psalm 23, and this is one that you know. He's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down, he feeds, he leads. But why does he do this? For his, come on, name's sake. It's not just to get your belly full. It's not just to get you out of a hostile environment. It is what? It is for his name's sake. Wow. God's deposited, number two, he's deposited and demonstrated righteousness in your life. Philippians 1, that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, what? To the glory and praise of God. Wow. You see, sin is not just about human honor or the testimony of, a, again, an upgraded or empowered life. It's all about him. Psalm 25, 11, For your name's sake, God, pardon my iniquity, it says in Psalm 25, 11. Wow. In this number three, 
Many times God will order both delay, denial, and discomfort around our life to manifest himself. Uh-oh. Talk about preaching that flies in the face of much of what we hear in our contemporary, from our contemporary pulpits. Delay, the furnace of affliction of Isaiah 48. What is it talking about? Delay, waiting on God, faith, perseverance, things worked in us, out of us, yes. It's also a place of accusation by the enemy. God ain't listening. He don't care. He ain't going to show up. Lazarus sisters. Where you been? Come on, we called you three days ago. If you had been here, what? The accusations start to fly, don't they? If you had been here, what do they say? He wouldn't have died. They recognize he had enough power to heal the sick, but God had something greater of his own glory in mind. Oh, I've done this. You've seen this. You even have the faith I can heal the sick. But now, the real issue is, does the Son of Man have the power of resurrection life? And let me just tell you, God will wait for enough death around your life that it starts to stink. Uh-oh. Say, so, well, God, I'm getting pretty odiferous here. Any time will be good. I mean, we're entering into day three, you know. The KJV says, oh, Lord, leave the rock. He, it stinketh. And yet God will order delay. God himself will show up in such a way that his greater glory can be manifested. Many times he will wait, not just to heal, not just to fix. He will wait for death around your life so that he can manifest resurrection power. I prophesied to someone two weeks ago. They were trying to sell a house and buy another one, and one was contingent on the next, and you know how that thing works, and and I prophesied, I said, God's about to do a miracle for you. Two of them. One, in your own natural house, but two, in a spiritual house. God's got something for the church. I said, but there's probably going to be resurrection that's going to be involved. And sure enough, while we were there, buyer, his house fell out of escrow. The buyer said, we're done. We don't want it. We're done. So here we are. Got a contract on a new one, contingent on selling the old one. Now I don't even have the old one sold. 48 hours later... Another buyer shows up, houses back in escrow. But there was that moment of, this deal stinketh. Wow. Delay, denial. What happens when God says no? Do you realize God will tell you no? I mean, Paul, 2 Corinthians. I prayed, God, take this thing away from me. And what did God say to Paul, the greatest apostle of all, of all times? He said to Paul, no. Nope, 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 nope. And whatever this thorn in, the, thorn in the flesh was, this messenger of Satan, whether it was physical, emotional, spiritual, theologians will argue about this until we get to heaven. Don't know. All I know is God said, you're going to carry this. You're going to carry this. And you know why? He said, because my grace is sufficient. Because in the absence of this discomfort, my grace would not be nearly as real to you as it is right now. 
Do you realize that that discomfort many times, it will keep us God aware? Wow. Sorry, not good preaching. Don will be back next week. And then lastly, design destiny and desire. For his namesake, are we willing to receive from him that which he has not just ordained but desired for us? You know, it's one thing to say, okay, God, your will be done. That's one way of doing it. God appreciates that. But there's another thing of saying, okay, that will be done. God, I'm going to stop working my to-do list with you, my Christmas list. I'm going to stop holding up in front of you everything that I want. And God, I'm just here to tell you, I trust you enough to form yourself in me. Therefore, I'm going to yield my list. I'm going to yield my likes, my dislikes, my wants, my needs. God, I trust you enough that you will have me obtain that which you have ordered around my life. If you don't believe it, don't pray it. That may be the most dangerous prayer you ever pray. Amen? But let me tell you, it's when these things converge. Destiny, design, and desire. My goodness, can you imagine those three things being woven together in one cord so that our desires are not pulling us away from God's destiny. Our desires are not trying to yank us away from the destiny that God has gloriously mapped out for your life and mine. But when God's design of how he's made us, his destiny for our life and our desire, when they all merge together, oh my gosh. Now we're not fighting anymore. Mine, mine, mine. Now it's a matter of the same way Jesus prayed, not my will, but thy will. And being omniscient, knowing what that was about to entail for his life. Can you imagine praying that prayer in that moment? Wow. Wow. A new perspective, a new orientation. His name. Seventeen seventy nine, Edward Perinet. You have no idea who that is? It's okay. Anglican. He wrote a hymn. It's closely associated with the Wesleys. But he wrote a hymn while he was a missionary in India. And it's, and it's said that as he would sing this melody, that rather than those natives wanting to spear him, they were somehow captivated, not even understanding the language, but they were captivated by the melody. And he, he penned a hymn, which you and I know today. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. I'll hail the power 
of Jesus' name. And could I submit to you that as a final thought and just by way of inquiry, is our worship today in any way reflective of the ongoing worship of heaven? I just have to ask that. Because I really believe as we talk about church sort of being the practice field for what we do out there, I believe that what we do in terms of worship is the practice, it's the rehearsal for what heavenly worship should be. And I got to tell you, heavenly worship is not talking about who we are and how fulfilled we're going to be. It's not going to be about the reckless love of God. It is going to be God, Jesus, God, Jesus, God, God, Jesus, holy. I mean, that's going to be the worship of heaven. Because we're going to join the angelic hosts of worshiping that way. And far beyond what we can attain in his name, it's rather seeking his glory. In all that he says, for his name. Pray with me. Jesus, help us today. Help us hear well. And God, like the hymnist wrote 200 years ago, all hail the power. All hail the power of Jesus' name. So God, we yield today. God, I pray that our design... Our destiny, our, our desire would all merge together. That all of this internal conflict that we live in and live with of saying no to this and no to that. That God, our no's could become yes as we yield to your will. God, I pray as this church embarks on ministry in the glory of God. Wow, what a powerful concept. Let it be so in every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church.